I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Move the Guesswork podcast. I'm Leanne Spencer. And this week, it's part two of my really interesting, at least I thought so, really interesting interview with Dr. Robert Lefevre. So if you're just tuning into this particular episode, jump back a week, listen to part one, and then come and join for the second part of our conversation, where we talk about recovery, we talk about addiction, the different types of addictions, Robert's particular method for recovery. We talk a lot about the 12-step program. We touch on the godly element of that and what we think of it. So really interesting conversation. I think if you know of anyone who's suffered with addiction of addiction to anything or yourself have had addiction problems, you're going to really enjoy this one. So jump back and listen to part one. If you already have done, sit back and enjoy part two of my episode with Dr. Robert Lefevre. Do we know which genes predispose someone for no, addiction? No, we don't. This is something I think is a result of research that's gone wrong. They're looking for an alcohol gene. I don't believe there is an alcohol gene. I think there's a hedonistic gene. Yay, let's get blasted. Mm. And in that gene, Mm -hmm. you've got alcohol, recreational drugs, nicotine, caffeine, gambling and risk-taking, sex and love addiction. They're all saying the same thing. Let's get blasted. Mm. Now, I think there is a hedonistic gene, and I think there's a nurturant of self gene. That's the eating disorder one with shopping, spending, work and exercise coupled in with the primary addiction. Whether it's binging or starving or vomiting or purging is irrelevant. They're all the same thing at different times in people's lives. And then you've got the compulsive helping gene allied to the relationship addiction. That's the third group. And what we found in researching this was that some people had one of those clusters, some people had two, some people had all three. I've got all three which is wonderful training for the work that I do. You know, I speak addict like Harry Potter speaking Parseltown. Hmm. You know, I know what it is to be an addict, and therefore I can talk to people in a way that they know that I'm speaking their experience. I saw a patient this morning, lovely man. He's, uh, he's aged about 50, just going through his second divorce. And I think his, one of his major problems is compulsive helping. He keeps finding himself on the receiving end of abuse. Mm. So if he has married a Harridan, he's going to get the consequences of that. Mm. And I, th- I think he's got his own problems as well, but I think he's really made some very poor choices in his relationships. Mm. I, I find him you know, absolutely straightforward, polite, respectful, punctual, all sorts of things that addicts are not. Hmm. Well, part of that is because he's been working in a 12-step program for the last 10 years anyway. Then why did he come to me? Because his relationships are really in difficulty. And so these are the people that I spend you know, a lot of time with nowadays, people who may be many years abstinent, but they're still finding their recovery 
leaves a lot to be desired. Mm. They haven't got the life of their dreams that I have. Mm. And so I'm able to use things such as EMDR, which is a psychological process, or NLP, or hypnosis, or psychodrama. I use various emotional treatments to treat an emotional problem. Whereas the government is actually hooked in to <clears> cognitive <throat> behavioral therapy and rationally emotive behavioral therapy. They want reasons. Now, the reasons, as far as I'm concerned, are not as significant as the mood drive. Hmm. So I may have been born in India. I may have had, you know, bullying when I was at school. Well, so what? We all did. You know, British private schools are pretty unpleasant. But we survived them. Hmm. What I couldn't do was to counter my genetics. And so what I needed to do was to find a way that will treat the emotional craving. Yeah. And I found that with the various things that I mentioned. Yeah. E EMDR, eye movement desensitization and, and reprocessing, is a wonderful process when done sensibly by well-trained and experienced people. People who use it as a party trick and, and can cause a lot of damage. Hmm. So if you just go to someone and say, oh, I've done EMDR, be careful. And if you've got people who say, no, I had EMDR, it was terrible. Well, that was done by an idiot. Hmm. So we have to be really careful. If we're training counsellors, as I did, Professor Stevenson and I set up the first addiction psychology training program for an MSc in addiction psychology in the UK. We created that and... This is what we need to do, is to, to be responsible in the way that we work, rather than saying, oh, I know a friend who, or saying, oh, I think that's a wonderful idea. Hmm. That's not enough. We've got to get the proper training for it. Yeah. And so I believe very much in getting the proper training for any form of treatment. Yep. Cognitive behavioral therapy, rationally emotive therapy, behavior therapy, wonderful treatments for people who never had any problems in the first place. They're intellectual. They would get close to me. I didn't eat because I was hungry. I didn't drink because I was thirsty. You know, I've been drunk conducting an orchestra. It was not a good thing. They didn't invite me back. <laughs> so, you know, I did things that were absolutely crazy. Yeah. So are you saying, you know, we need to work on changing people's responses to a painful event or yeah. anything that can be triggering? I wanted to ask you actually about mood because mm. it strikes me that, well... I, as you know, have had an experience of alcohol addiction, eight years sober, through rehab, did 12-step program, but I don't maintain. I have my own form of program, which mm -hmm. works well for me. Good. But it's about, it takes about a week, I think, to be medically detoxed from alcohol and mm -hmm. possibly a bit longer on certain drugs. And then you're left with what I think is quite a large dopamine addiction. Mm -hmm. You know, dopamine being the reward neurotransmitter right. that, that tells you, oh, that, that behavior was good. Let's do that again. And that That's could right. be cocaine or it can be making a list, a to-do list. That's right. Whatever it is, it can be good and bad. How do you help people overcome that? If do you agree that it's a dopamine addiction? I and agree. I think that's the hedonistic that? one. Yeah. I think the nurturing to self one is probably serotonin. Yeah. And the relationship one is probably noradrenaline. But you know, I'm not the researcher. Or oxytocin. Or oxytocin, whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what I'm suggesting is that if researchers look at the clusters that I've identified they're much more likely to turn up with the right genes. Mm. We know that anorexia genes do exist. So that has already been discovered. 
but I'm saying if you look for the hedonistic genes, the nitrant of self genes, and the relationship of genes, and the compulsive helping ones, then you're going to get the understanding of what addiction mm. really is. And then we can start doing something about mm. it. I, but on, on the subject of doing something about it, you know, we, it's unlikely that people will be genetically testing. Well, I don't know, actually. I mean, there are tests like 23andMe, genetic tests that can tell you your predisposition to cystic well, fibrosis or Alzheimer's. Yeah. Yes, in, in the papers. I guess we could have one for addiction. Indeed. There, there was, in the papers today, there's a lady suing the NHS because they didn't tell her that her father had, what was it? It was the um, thing that causes total mental decay. And then when she got pregnant... She didn't know that she had this in her family. Mm. And so she's suing the NHS for not telling her. And well, the gene that can the, cause the, the Alzheimer's can cause or that. cognitive decline, yeah. I mind. can't remember. I, as it has mine, it'll come to me. Yeah. But we know that. It's quite well established, isn't it? Exactly. That. So, you know, why would we treat addiction any differently? Mm. Because it has an overriding f sense of shame. Yes, I agree. Now, I am not ashamed of being an addict. Mm, me neither. I'm, I feel guilty about many things I've done. That's different. I'm not ashamed of being an alcoholic. I'm not ashamed of being short-sighted. I'm not ashamed of being allergic to dust and to pollens. That's just part of me. But I am guilty over my behavior. Mm. Now, I can do something about those. As far as my guilt is concerned... I use step nine of the 12-step program, making direct amends to those who are harmed. Mm. But as far as my shame is concerned, I use step one, recognizing that I'm powerless. I am an addict. If I recognize that I'm actually powerless, I can't do anything about it, then why would I be ashamed? Mm. So I'm guilty, but I'm not ashamed. Shame and the stigma of addiction is something I think needs a lot of work on because there is still a stigma around it. We perhaps need to break that down. I think a, great, a lot of people who may look down at the alcoholic on the street or the heroin addict slumped, you know, in the centre of Brixton that I saw recently, these people may very well be addicted to their smartphones and they may not think that's the same thing or as toxic or addicted to work. I mean, well, I see a lot of people that are putting themselves through absolutely unbelievably gruelling yeah. hours. And yes. there's not such a world of difference, I don't think. No, I don't think there's a difference. All addiction is progressive and destructive. Mm. The last person I want on my staff is a workaholic. They never get anything finished. Mm. They're always doing this, 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 that, that, that. You know, they don't actually do the work. The people on the street, a lot of them are soldiers who have been in Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever. They got post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, the appropriate treatment for that is EMDR. So there is a treatment for those people. But not everybody on the street has been to Afghanistan or Iraq and has, has suffers from PTSD. Some people choose that way of life. It seems bizarre, but they actually like to have a street life. Hmm. Um, well, that's no more bizarre than people choosing to use addictive substances. Oh. There are people who use cocaine who are not addicted to it at all. Hmm. Why on earth would they use it? I don't understand I don't drink alcohol for the taste. I drink it for the, yeah, yeah, wow. Hey, mm. that's something that really hits the spot. You know, that's why I use it. But why would other people drink? I just don't understand them. Mm. You know, they drink because they like the taste. My wife used to drink, you know, a couple of glasses of wine because she liked the taste. I said, you what? You know, that's, that's not alcohol. Mm. 
and so on. The, the two populations do not understand each other at all. Mm. And yet my wife and I were together for 51 years. So that illustrates another point. I don't think we can understand other people simply by being with them. I didn't understand my wife and we were together for 51 years. So I don't know what enough about her childhood, enough about many of the things that are on her mind at any particular time. You know, we don't know enough about people to be able to make pronouncements about them. Mm. The only person I can know about is me, and yet I don't see myself very well. I have the denial that any addict does. I don't see myself, this is my hand, but I'm not quite sure that it really is my, and so on, it's madness. You know, I'm an addict, pure and simple, is something that I have to remind myself because I have a natural forgetting mechanism. Mm. I, you know, just forget what it was like. I need to remember that, you know, the first drink was fine, but the one that led to the next one and the next one and the next one and the end result was not fine. But I've forgotten all the end results. I remember the first one. And I keep trying to recapture that sense of, yay. Mm. But it eludes me. And so, you know, what I need to do is to, to remember the consequences and say, Robert, that just is not good for you. Mm. Don't go down that route. You'll just get the same pain as you got last time. Mm. One of the definitions of madness is doing the same thing again and again and hoping for different results. Yeah. Well, I got the same results every time. Yes, indeed. How do you helpfully, or what kind of methods do you recommend people for recovery? Coming back to that concept of dopamine, quite often what happens is people cross-addict into exercise and get yes, that dopamine do. hit that way. Yeah. How do you control that sort of the, the danger, the risk of cross-addicting? address that you know as part of it we'll wrap up in the last sort of 15 minutes on recovery to help with that dopamine addiction i think the addiction to any neurotransmitter such as dopamine or serotonin or noradrenaline or whatever this is why i refer to it as neurotransmission disease mm. it's a That's disease what it, in yeah. what's happened with dopamine it's a disease in what's happening with serotonin yep. a disease in what's happening with nor noradrenaline we have to be aware that that is in our nature. And therefore, I will tend to cross-addict. I come out of this and go into that, I come out of that and go into the other, and so on. Mm. And I have to be aware of all my addiction. Mm. I don't want to change gin for whiskey or whiskey for wine and then wine for beer. Mm. It's all alcohol. Sugar for alcohol, yeah, nicotine for, yeah. I really don't Nicotine need. for food is a common that. one. I would rather be completely absent right across the board. Now, that's difficult to begin with. Mm. As I say, I haven't used any of those things since 12th of October 1984. I remember that date because it's important for me to remind me, even though it's just, it's just one day at a time. I have accumulated a fair number of one days, mm. and I've been to something over 4,000 meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous in my life. In the Do you same, still go? Oh, yes. The, the last, Regularly. I'm, I'm going tomorrow morning to my regular meeting every Wednesday morning. On Saturday mornings, I do Overeaters Anonymous. On Tuesday evenings, I do Helpers Anonymous. So tonight, I'll be doing Helpers Anonymous. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I use different fellowships at different times. I don't go to Gamblers Anonymous because I find I can get the same result. It's all part of the hedonistic yeah. program that I do from Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. And so I don't need to go to hundreds of different fellowships. I just do the ones that are most important for me. Mm. And as I get older... I'm decaying, 
well, my sight isn't as good as it was, my hearing isn't as good as it was, my spine isn't as good as it was, and I'm quite sure my hypothalamus isn't as good as it was. You know, my mood centers hmm. are not as sharp as they were. They're decaying. Hopefully my intellect is still okay, it still seems to function, hmm. but the mood centers, I need to go to more meetings than I used to. I used to go to two meetings a week, now I go to three. And I do all the talks I'm asked to do. So somebody today asked me if I would do a, a chair, as they're called, you know, set off the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous in Harlow on the 10th of December. Well, it's a, it's a Tuesday, and I do my Alcoholics Anonymous meeting every Tuesday, so I can't go to that. Hmm. I can do any other evening, but I cannot do Tuesdays. And I can't do Saturday morning because that's my uh, Readers Anonymous group. So that so, structure is an important part of your recovery, very is it? Very important. Yeah. So even if you don't think you need to go, and I'm doing air quotes for the benefits of listeners, you keep it in because it, it is your insurance policy that's against right. relapse. Okay, I think that's a bit It's like me point. taking the flu shot. Yeah. You know, I've had my flu shot this year, so hopefully I won't get the flu. I haven't had the flu for donkey's years because I didn't have the flu shot. Mm. And the crucial issue of working a 12-step program is that we have to work it. That's what Dr. Bob and Bill W. said. You know, it works if you work it. Mm. And... If you don't work it, you won't get the results. Well, the same is true for studying for an exam or anything else. Yeah. You know, if I don't look after my wife, she won't be my wife for long enough. And so I need to work the program. Now, one of the things that people really stumble on is the word God. Mm. I have no religious belief at all. My God is the 12-step program. It works for me. And so when I say my prayers, which I do every day, I pray for psychological things. I pray that the Health Trust Act program will bring me honesty, open-mindedness, willingness, acceptance, gratitude, sensitivity, sanity, creativity, enthusiasm. These are things I pray for as psychological reminders of the person I want to be. I don't believe in a magic fix God. I believe in something that's going to come to me if I work for it. And so I work the steps. I say my prayers in the shower because I'm never going to forget to have a shower. Therefore, I never forget to say my prayers. It's just little techniques like that keep me sane. Yeah. I do the meditation. I read meditation books every morning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning. I kiss my wife and read the meditation book. Mm-hmm. because I need to focus myself in such a way that it will send me through the whole of the rest of the day. Mm. I don't want to start with anxiety and irritation and all that sort of thing, because that will stay with me all day. Mm. So just using straightforward meditation processes. I'm a great fan of meditation. I don't use warm baths and meditation or transcendental meditation or funny aromas or whatever. I just read you know, passages that have been written by other people mm-hmm. who have sensible things to say that remind me that, yeah, I, I need to just chill, just cool it a bit. And that way I can be the person I want to be instead of the idiot that I have been for most of my mm. life. And I think God is it's an interesting one. I mean, I'm a staunch atheist. But I think you can get around that. If you're in a, a rehab or a treatment centre yeah. or, or a meeting which is very 12-step based and it, it can be very godly, I think there is a way to look around that. 
Yes. If you really want what the fellowship or the rehab centre or, or whomever it is is offering, which is sobriety. There are people who run rehabs who have a very strong religious belief. I'm fine with that. It's just I, I, I don't happen to want that particular belief for myself. Mm. I think some can be dogmatic. I have been They in, can. They, they can know, be but, tiresome. Yeah. I remember a chap asked me for breakfast down just north of Lambeth Bridge. And so I went along and he said, shall we pray? And I thought, oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, I hadn't realised I'd, I'd bought a happy clappy. Mm. Now, the happy clappies are, are harmless enough, except they go too far, in my view. Yes, but well, it is dogma. Um, it's it's it, pushing it, of their belief. It's and... dogmatic. And it's proselytising. Mm. And I don't want to do that. What I say to people is, you know, I can tell you about what I've got and you can see whether you want it. Hmm. One of the things that I ask people is, how would you get to Cody Canal? And they say, where? And I said, it was where I was born. And they say, yeah. And I said, well, there you are. I've asked you a question you can't answer, and I've given you information you can't use. That's called counselling. Hmm. And that's really what I've, I've seen many counsellors who do that just to try to prove how clever they are. Hmm. It's only when I say, well, Cody Canal is in South India, well, now you know you go to Heathrow and then to Mumbai and then down to Madras and so on. You know how to get there. If you don't know what you want in recovery, you won't get it. Mm. You'll be here, there, everywhere, all over the place. You must have a clear picture of what you're looking for, and then you'll get it. I think a successful recovery takes a while. I mean, you talked about giving up the 12th of October 1984, and you said you didn't give everything up then. You started with the alcohol and went from there. And It's a process, isn't it, which starts with abstinence. I I pretty well gave everything up at once. Oh, did you? I decided that I would have just one deep pit rather than a series of pits. Right. So we're going to go into a grief reaction anyway because you know, giving up something is a grief reaction. Mm. And that will last two years. After my wife died, I grieved for, for rather longer than that, even though I was already married to Pat, because it came on top of the double whammy of, of my being made bankrupt. So I lost our home, my office, my rehab, my cottage in the country, the cats, the dog. Wow. The only thing I was left with was my wife. Mm. But I didn't relapse. It would only make it worse. You know, I used to go to, we finished up living in an old people's home in Canterbury, and it was very nice. But Canterbury isn't South Kensington, my mm. centre of the known universe. And I gave a talk at the local Rotary, and the professor of the Oh, People's Home, who'd invited me, said to me afterwards, Robert, you don't belong here. And I hmm. said, oh, really? What have I done? And I was reminded of the nurse saying, you can die here. And I thought, well, yes, I think I would. What she meant was <laughs> I could stay here till I die. Hmm. And the person was saying the same thing. He said, you belong in London. You've got to get back to a wider audience than we have in Canterbury. Hmm. Which was very kind of him. So I gave back my corridor, which is a certificate signed by the Archbishop of Canterbury, saying I could stay there for life, and if I couldn't pay the rent, then the church would pay it. Mm. The, the Church of England is very, very good in looking after people. A lot of religious institutions are very good mm. at caring for people in an appropriate way. Some of them go too far, but, you know, let's give credit for the people who do help. Uh, Bill W. said, let's be friendly to our friends. And he meant that as far as doctors are concerned, as far as, you know, religious people are concerned. They are being friendly, and we very often treat them with a lot of abuse. Mm. So we need to be friendly to our friends. 
And, you know, working the 12-step program is a psychological process of healing, of helping you to be more accepting, to change blame and self-pity into acceptance and gratitude. That's the fundamental core of it. Mm. I don't want to look back with blame and self-pity. I've done too much of that. I want to look with acceptance and gratitude. Mm. My parents were good people. My guardians were good people. They really did provide for me and look after me. You know, my teachers were good people. I treated them appallingly. So I need to take my own inventory mm. and to accept that the real architect of my disasters was Robert. I caused the disaster, mm. and I'm responsible for putting it right. So far from using the 12-step program as a cure-all and as a cop-out, well, actually have a look at the 12 steps. Step five, admitted to God, to myself, and to another human being the exact nature of my wrongs. Well, how many people would do that? Step nine, made direct amends to those I'd harmed, except when to do so would injure them or others. How many people would do that? Yeah. These aren't cop-outs. Yeah. They're very difficult. They're very challenging. And, you know, unless we work the steps, we're not going to get results. The people who go to meetings and they think that recovery is going to sort of drop out of the sky like mm. heavenly manner. It's not going to happen. I'm going to link to the, the 12 steps because I think for anyone listening in or watching, even if you don't think you have a problem with addiction, even if you don't, mm. I think the 12 steps is a great process to get that acceptance, that gratitude that I many so. of us seek in some form or another. Yes. So that's also a really good place to leave it, Robert. Thank you very much for your time. It's been my privilege. Thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And I do hope that some of the things that I've said will stick. Yeah. So... Thank you. Yeah, pleasure. A well link to everything we talked about in the show notes. So that's your website, link to your books, yeah. a link also to the 12 steps so people can get easy access to those. Is there, if, or if there's anything else you'd like us to link to, you can, you can let me know. Well, the other thing is, let me give you my telephone number, 07540281820. I'm available. Call me. If you want to talk, just phone. There we go. So open invitation. Thank you very much. Thank you. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.